Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. The park is absolutely lovely, and I love this park in particular. I think it is fascinating that they built a castle here in the middle of the park. Though, I can't help but wonder who would live in a castle in the park. Well, there is a group of well-beloved outcasts that supposedly do. I have to admit, they would own some of the most prized real estate in all the city. You know, you're right. I didn't even think about them. Mm -hmm. Why do you think they'd choose to live out here? There's lots of space, green everywhere. This is the most prized real estate in all of Manhattan. And they are rich enough. Maybe we can find out a little bit more by the moonlight at the Lunfontaine Theater. And welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today, we are going to be discussing the fun, fearsome show, The Addams Family. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. When you're in Adams, you need to have a little moonlight. But for this episode, we're going to use the spotlight to shine some of it onto the hilarious show, The Adams Family. This hilarious adaptation of the cult classic TV show entertained audience for, audiences for nearly two years bringing the familiar antics and characters we've come to know and love from the mansion on the hill to the Great White Way. So let's find out how they got here. In 2007, producers announced that they had obtained rights to, to the T. and Charles Adams Foundation to create a musical adaptation of the Adams Family for Broadway. This would be the first time the comic cartoon family would be licensed on stage. The Adams Foundation retained control over the show's content and insisted that the plot be drawn from the original cartoons. The creators of the show turned to the character Uncle Fester for inspiration. The Adams Family cartoon was created by Charles Adams in 1938, and the Adamses were a satirical inversion of the ideal 20th century, century American family. The design team assembled to bring this cartoon family to life was as followed. Puppetry by Basil Twist, lights by Natasha Katz, sound design by Acme Sound Partners, wigs and hair by Tom Watson, makeup by Angelina Avalon. Music and lyrics by Andrew Lippa, book by Marshall Brickman and Rick Ellis, directed and production design by Fella McDermott and Julian Crouch, and choreography by Sergio Trujillo. The show would have audiences screaming with laughter on Broadway on April 8th, uh, 2010 at the Lundfontein Theater, where it would run for nearly two years and 722 performances, 
closing on December 31st, 2011. During that time, it was nominated for two Tony Awards. So let's delve into the story of the family itself. The ghoulish Adams family are visiting the graveyard for an annual gathering of all family members, living, dead, and undecided, to celebrate what it is to be an Adams. Uncle Fester stops the ancestors' return to their graves to enlist their help. He explains that Wednesday, under protest, has invited her new, normal boyfriend, Lucas Benke, and his parents, Mel, or excuse me, Mal and Alice, to dinner. While torturing Pugsley on a rack, Wednesday admits that love is pulling her in a new direction. Meanwhile, Wednesday's parents, Morticia and Gomez, worry about her changing ways. As the Bankies arrive, Wednesday and Lucas instruct their families to act normal so they can all enjoy a simple dinner. But the moment Lurch ushers the Bankies into the mansion, tensions begin to mount. Mal wants to tear down the old house. Alice begins to spout happy poems at random. Pugsley, Fester, and Grandma fail at acting normal, and Wednesday, after wearing black for 18 years, appears in a bright yellow dress. Later, Lucas and Wednesday, away from their families, reveal that the reason they brought their families together is to announce their marriage. Gomez and Mal share a drink while Mal is introduced to Bernice the family's giant pet squid, and Alice admits to Morticia that her marriage to Mal has grown passionless. Morticia then hears Wednesday call her old and worries that she's getting crow's feet. She turns down Gomez's request to tango, leaving him alone and unsatisfied. Meanwhile, Pugsley is worried that Wednesday's love life means she won't torture him anymore. He steals a potion from Grandma after she reveals it will bring out someone's dark nature. Pugsley plans to slip it into Wednesday's drink at dinner. At dinner, the game is played, where each person at the table confesses something. Gomez tells a story about scaring away crows and their feet, but upsets Morticia by accidentally comparing her to a goat, while Uncle Fester admits that he's in love with the moon. In a mix-up, Alice drinks Pugsley's potion and in front of everyone declares her marriage to Mal a loveless mess as she reveals her misery and woe. As Mal, humiliated, attempts to leave with his family, Wednesday announces that she and Lucas will marry, to which Lucas sheepishly agrees. Chaos engulfs both families and Uncle Fester, trying to be helpful, instructs the ancestors to create a sudden, terrible storm, trapping everyone in the mansion for the night. Act two starts during the storm. Wednesday tries to leave, but Lucas wants to stay and work things out with their families, leading the pair to have their first fight. Later, Morticia fears she is no longer relevant to her own family and reminds herself that death is waiting for her. Mal and Alice start to have a fight about their marriage at the dinner after Alice makes a poem that doesn't rhyme. Uncle Fester calls for an interlude as he plays his ukulele, singing a love song to the moon. Walking out in the yard, 
Wednesday runs into Gomez. He is happy she's found someone to love, yet sad that his daughter is growing up. Wednesday is left worrying that she and Lucas are too different. Then, as a show of trust, Lucas blindfolds Wednesday and lets her shoot an apple off his head with a crossbow. She succeeds, and the two embrace. Pugsley cannot sleep, and Morticia relaxes him a bit, but he cannot bring himself to confess what he did to Alice. In the grotto, Gomez and Fester attempt to get Mal to open up about his feelings to no avail. He is ultimately kidnapped by Bernice and pulled into the sewers. Grandma, hearing the word love, comes to sing with Gomez and Fester. Moments after... Alice is led down to the grotto by Lurch, where Mal, now back from his swim with Bernice, has learned to appreciate what he has after spending time in the arms of a passionate squid, and announces he still loves Alice. Gomez now goes up to the rooftop to profess his love for Morticia. They kiss and begin to tango. With the couples reunited, Pugsley admits to slipping the potion to Alice, but... It is congratulated since it brought everyone together. Uncle Fester, wearing a rocket, tells everyone he's flying off to be with the moon. As the family sing one last ballad, they are all shocked as Lurch sings out loud for the first time. Just as a puff of smoke is seen on the moon, signaling Fester has just landed. The The end. end. discuss the parts (laughs) that we like that we didn't but let's discuss i thought that was clever so clever you're so clever speaking (laughs) of clever i thought this was a really clever show through and through i love this show i think it's just the right amount of ham and cheese um you know fluff and (laughs) flounce and fun and uh, i i love it i think it's really cute i thought the story was a little (laughs) bit uh, the story was a little bit light and labored like i don't know that it all kind of there wasn't so much inciting action there wasn't a lot fueling it the stakes weren't so high if that makes sense it does but also when you think to the fact that the adamses are a comic book family you know, there's not really a long, like, their stories are more like vignettes anyways. Well, and also life and death is usually the kind of goal in the Adams Family. I'm, come on, life and death. I, I just, right. I just, it's just, it's just short and sweet and simple and like, you go on a fun little adventure, you're not going to change your life, you're just going to... Well, I mean, that's the thing is I didn't feel like every, a lot of the characters, particularly I'll say the non-Adams characters, went on a big enough journey for me. If that yes, well, and I think that that's a large part of the show is that the non Adams are supposed to go on a journey because the Adams know who they are and right, and and that's that to me was what kind of held me back a little bit from the show is the first act is spent building up all this uh, I know exposition exposition, and yes. then we had an inciting action finally kind of at the end of Act One when we should have had a kind of an inciting action leading up to a real climax, if you will, in Act 1, at the end of Act 1. And then Act 2 is spent 
quickly going through and learning something and developing as a character, and then, oh, we're done. And I was like, mm, but that's I... a really quick lesson learned. I don't feel like your character grew a lot. That's hard for me. Mm. But I think that that's the charm of this show. Personally. Uh, that, that to me was the labored part of it. I, I would have liked to have seen something higher than just we're getting married and this marriage is falling apart and oof for the end of act one there could have been something more there it just it 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 was a little light for me now what made up for it for me was you had everybody's character was well realized nobody nobody's character was um halfway thought out everybody was well thought out um and then the music was fantastic Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was one or two songs that I was like, mm, this could be cut a little shorter. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not mad that, it, you know, the tango that Morticia and Gomez had was a little touch long for where it was in the show for me. But at the same time, I can't get mad because that's Gomez and Morticia. You know, like, the whole show could have been them tang- tangoing and kissing the arm and just, oh my, you know, that's because that's who they are. Mm-hmm. I guess because, like you said, it's originally a comic book, I just expected a little bit... More substance? Yeah, just a bit more. I'd still pay money to go see the show again because mm-hmm. it was fun. And um, I still think it was they, they brought all the classic character traits to the stage, which is nice. They didn't try to reinvent the wheel, particularly with the Adamses. Right. You know, we weren't, we didn't, Lurch was Lurch. You know, the grandmother was the grandmother. Pugsley, Wednesday, all of them, they were exactly who you were expecting them to be. Not one person or director or actor, whatever, tried to reinvent the character and be like, well, I'm going to make it my own. No, they were exactly who we thought they were going to be. And that was great. It was familiar in that sense. Right. I will say the the very interesting thing um, about this is in like the movie adaptations, are you talking about particularly like the one with what's her name, Angelica Houston? Yes. Okay, okay. Um, it's often played that Wednesday is the younger sibling and Pugsley is the older one. Really? But in the musical, Wednesday oh, is the older one see, and Pugsley th- is the little I one. I totally thought it was always that way. Because like that movie with Angelica Houston, the one where they go to camp, mm-hmm. I thought uh, Wednesday was older. No, because oh. uh, if you see the one before that, the first Adams Family movie... Um, Pugsley. Is that the one where Uncle Fester's in love? He's the, no, that's the one where Uncle Fester is, um, has amnesia. And so got it, got he's it, got missing, but then got he it, finds it. out he's not missing. Got it. Um, that one, um, Pugsley is the older one because you have, oh my gosh, I can't remember her name, but she's. A... Is it the girl that plays Wednesday? Yes. Oh. Uh, you know exactly. No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. But yeah. Right, but she's the younger one. Okay. Um, and it's, I mean, they never, I don't think they ever in the comic book um, say, or in the comics. Who's older and who's younger. Yeah, and so I just think it was a fun twist to make her the older one, um, which would make sense since she is the dominant one. Uh, Christina um, Ricci is who you're Christina about. Ricci, yes. Because she is like quintessentially Wednesday Adams in my mind. Yeah. No, I, I just, I just love, like I said, I just love that. That familiarity of those Adams character because they are so iconic. They're oh, so yes. iconic, you know. B.B. Uh, Newworth playing Morticia. What I loved is there was an element for all of you my age out there who watch Frasier. Um, Niles's wife and ex-wife Roz, who was this monotone, other therapist, kind of 
emotionless kind of person. She was perfect for the role of Morticia in that sense because Morticia is very emotionless, just dry. She's regal. Well, <laughs> I mean, yes, but I mean, you know, she she is very loving, but in the most like, I, I don't know how to put it. She just, she's affectionate, but not the initiator, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And also, B.B. Newworth had the bod, not to... Um, Objectifier. Objectifier, but she did. She had the perfect body and shape for that. Like I said, at her age, she still has the pins, which are amazing. Those legs were amazing. But she didn't... She came off sexy without being sexualized, which was perfect. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, anyway. I think, I think one of the main things <coughs> about this show that hit for me is the set. Mm-hmm. Like, you walk in first thing in that moon and the graveyard, and it's just like, <gasps> home. Well, what was great <laughs> is I thought it was a great, solid mix of cartoon and gothic. Yes. You know, um, we we obviously got that sense of eerie, creepy um, gothicness, but they kept that cartoony in there with the odd shapes and angle, and it looked very sketched and drawn, um, rather than trying to be so literal. Right, Which but that I, moon, that moon was quite literal, and yeah. I loved that. And it was, the set was just very simple, very clear, very communicative, um... Which I appreciated, and and if you haven't figured it out by now, they set their house in Central Park, which I just love, because I'm like, oh yeah, a house in the middle of Central Park, like that's gonna be a thing, <laughs> right? You know? I mean, there's a castle in Central Park, but I love that. Um, and then partnering the set uh, would be the lights, and I love the colors that they use, particularly these grays and reds and yellows that they used, um, because you know the ancestors were all ghosts and they were in these grays and whites and such you know they weren't figurative like ghosts with you know the charlie brown ghosts with the sheet on they no, were done up they really were, well and they to, were all like in their their like time period in which they died and... right they were done up to look like spirits but then you had to also light them so that you weren't washing them out you know so it was very focused lighting how do you mix live people with what's supposed to be dead people so that was really really focused in creative lighting but then you know to also reflect this great, these great moods throughout. When I when I say yellow, like I'm thinking, it, it, what comes to my mind is like this 1950s thing, like when they're doing let's not talk about anything else but love. They've got this wood stuff behind them, you know, and it's very 1950s. I, I remember right, there's like wood paneling behind them. Mm, that's what the the. That's what the house is wood paneled. Right, and, and, and they've got this yellow light that makes it feel warm. And it's like that 1950s, like, you know, all shucks, leave it to beaver kind of feel. And then when they're doing, like, these tango moments, they're very red and passionate, you know? It's, yeah, yeah. And, but, but it's not like a red wash where the whole stage is washed with red. It's just this hue. There's like a... A border around stuff of red, it almost looks like. So you feel... Kind of. So, like, the light is kind of commenting the mood. Exactly. Setting the tone. But, but without not, washing it. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like if you were to take, like, a picture and do a light, like, watercolor wash over it. Kind of, yeah. Just to kind of give it that essence of difference. And then I love the use of shadows as well from the lights because it also added the fact that it felt like a melodramatic theater, too. Mm-hmm. I mean... It is a comic, and I felt like we were overacting at points. A comedy. 
No, no, no. The Adam's Family is a comic strip. Oh, yes. So I felt like there were obviously <laughs> like, moments that? that we were definitely overacting in the right context. You know, one of the, my favorite things is when we're doing the full disclosure. Ba, 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 da, da. They're admitting all these crazy things, you know. I am in love with the moon. And it's like... Who does that? That's <laughs> melodrama. Um, one of my favorite things is after Alice's makes Alice makes her confession, Gomez is the, oh, that's too dark, even for me. And it's an aside, but it's totally like I'm whispering my hand out to the audience. You know, he's... Yuck, yuck, yuck. Exactly. Like slapstick kind of, yeah. So the lighting really helps to create that, and you get the idea that it's almost like masterpiece theater, you know? Yes, and, yeah. But we're doing a, a comic strip and, and a comedy in that sense, and I'm like, I'm glad we're not taking this so seriously that we're like, we are creating lame is fine art. No, we're doing the Adams Family. Come on, everybody. Let's have some fun. Right. I mean, because at the end of the day, the show is fun, and it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. It's supposed to be read as fun. Yeah. The props were awesome. It's very cool uh, use of props. The crossbow. Mm -hmm. The bird when she's doing the singing. Uh, Do you remember when she... uh, Is it in Pulled? Yep. Yep. Uh, Right before she starts and the bird explodes. I'm being pulled in a new direction. Yes. Yeah, and then... um, the spinning torture thing that Pugsley's up on, that we see him up on, that yes, was really cool. The, the, the rack. Yep, and the wagon that Grandma's pulling around, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was really clever, you know, having all of her potions and everything that she can use. Uh, and then leading to props, like we've already mentioned it, the costumes were great. I adore the costumes. Like, I adore the sh- stuff out of the costumes. Yes, we're trying to make this a family-friendly episode. We don't yes, want to have to put my that bad. E next to it. <laughs> my bad. Um, yeah, the so costumes were fantastic. I mean, Mortician in that all black, Gomez in that pinstripe I mean, suit. When I, let's just stop and talk about the Morticia dress really fast because the, the, the joke about Morticia is you never see her legs. You never see her legs. But... Um, but B.B. Newworth... You had to see her legs. You know her legs. You know her legs. And so when they make this be- her beautifully, you know, cut dress, that, and then they have the version for the tango where it can open up and she can lift it up so you can see her legs. And they actually make a joke in the script where like, oh, you do have legs. Yes. You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's that fun ham and cheese moment that just had to be there. Um, but you still needed it to read as Morticia. Yes. And I think that they did. And it's more than just this cute, simple black gown. It is this, ah, oh, this masterpiece. I'm trying to find a picture to look at while I talk about it because there's just so many, like I could talk about Morticia's look alone for a long time. <laughs> it sounds like we should tell our listeners to just Google Morticia Adams, Adam's Family Broadway and go look at what we're talking about. Um, it was weird to see Wednesday in a yellow dress, but I, I mean, obviously that's the gimmick of the show. The other thing I liked is that, that the show wasn't, um, they didn't set a date. So, I mean, it kind of felt like it was, you know, during today. Yet the parents of Lucas looked like they were from like the 50s. It had a very like Kajaf Hall feel to it. The way that, you know, Alice and Mal were dressed. And I was just like, that's kind of funny because if you know your history about the Adams family, that's 
when the TV show kind of debuted in the 40s and 50s. So, okay. Yep. You know, and I felt like even the Adams themselves were stuck in time. You know, so I thought the costumes overall were very clever. And, of course, we've mentioned the ancestors, how they were dressed in the time period and the colors and everything like that. Lastly, I want to mention the the music, Andrew Lippa's music. They were very memorable songs. Uh, I've already mentioned before a couple of the songs were labored. The one that was most labored to me was the Squid song. Um, The Arms of a Squid. It... Normally, I'm a, I'm a guy that can go for these weird songs, you know, hot dogs and things like that. This one, for me, I was like, okay. But it's a fun building ballad. I, it didn't work for me. It, it, it was a minute too long, and I was ready for the next one. But the actor that sang it was great, and the fact that he knew that it was ridiculous, and he still sold it like it was the best thing in the world, kudos to him. I mean, and I think that's what makes it work, though, too. I mean, you couldn't have that moment without a song. You just experienced uh, an experience with the squid. You don't just come out and go, I just had some time with the squid. No, you've <laughs> got to sing about that. So, there, I mean, there had to be a song. I just, for me, again, that wasn't a labored song. But, but I'm, I'm being very bougie and snooty Yeah, you right are, now. because I think of this score, and there is... So many songs out of it that just jump out at me that are my absolute favorite. And one of them I have to talk about is Just Around the Corner. Death is Just Around the Coroner. Yes, because that's a hope joke. And Morticia Adams makes a hope joke. And it just, you know, and she even calls attention to it because she goes, you know, death is just around the coroner. Get it? Coroner. And it just, ah, it's one of my favorite, like, ham and cheese moments ever. And I just, I love it. And, you know, I, I've been trying to explain, because I was telling someone how I like to call things ham and cheese musicals. Um, you know, I would like just, some sandwiches, it sounds like. Right, but someone was like, what do you mean by a ham and cheese musical? It's cheesy, but it has substance to it. Exactly. It's, it's, it's cheesy, but it's <laughs> filling, and it has protein and substance, so you can live off of it. Yeah, because there's um, some musicals that are so serious. cheesy that you're like, this is awful. And yeah, I can't forgive. Well, and there's a point for cheese and fluff, but this is like ham and cheese because it feeds the soul. And it's and... humorous at the same time. Exactly. You're slapping your knee and wah, wah at the same time that you're like, okay, there's a good story there too. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, the, the songs were memorable to me. I can think of, you know, Pulled and Crazier Than You and One when Normal you're in Night. What I also loved is the Adam's Family theme wasn't everywhere. Beginning and the end. And it was featured just quickly. And everybody was waiting for the Adam's Family theme song to be the whole thing. And I was like, thank you for not making it the whole thing. Thank Mm -hmm. you for being original and coming up with more. That was brilliant. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, Overall, I thought this show was a great night out for families and a fun night out for all. You know. Yes. There was no shortage of notable cast members in this uh, show, including Nathan Lane, B.B. Newworth, Terrence Mann, Jackie Hoffman. Krista Rodriguez, Brooke Shills, Heidi Blickenstaff, and Brad Oscar. So let's now talk about the impact the show has had on the theater and its history. So theatrical impact. 
it brought another element um, from American pop culture to the Broadway stage. And, of course, mm-hmm. that element being the Addams Family. Right. Well, and I mean, the Addams Family is, like, a cult classic. Like, it's yes. in that... It's in that niche, cult, alt, like, genre. It's like a sub-genre. It's a mm-hmm. subterranean genre. Um, but it brought it to the Broadway stage, and it was beautiful, and I adored it. Yeah. And I thought it's another great show for younger actors, too. It's an accessible mm-hmm. show for young actors because it's family-friendly and blah, blah, blah. Well, and this show itself is great for... You can put it on anywhere in the world. Which we'll get to. Yes. But it's another family-friendly show to bring family and younger audience members to Broadway. You know, it's not a Disney show. It, it off, offers right, not everyone, not everyone, not everyone who wants to see something family-friendly wants to see the Disney-branded family-friendly. Well, and you can only see Lion King so many times, so it's great to be able to offer that other show that's not Lion King or... Adam's family, Aladdin, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, to have some other thing, you know, it, right. it opens, it makes Broadway a little bit more accessible to audiences. Right. Cause I mean, I will say this show didn't have a huge impact on history. No, no. It didn't change the world, but it was here, it happened and it was fun yeah. and it has made individual impacts. Yeah. As for social impact, it was a show about allowing our kids to grow up. Yes, which I be- thought was important because you see that through Gomez, particularly Gomez. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Morticia and Gomez, but mostly through Gomez, letting his little girl grow up and be with you know. Yep, Lucas, and just I'm happy, but I'm also sad. I mean, that's, right. I think that's a great way to sum up a father's love for his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a show about accepting others for who they are. Right, because the Adam, that's the one thing I absolutely love about the Adams family is they are unapologetically themselves. Yes. And that's why I think there is that cult following to it, especially people who live a more alternative lifestyle or that are LGBTQ, IA, um, whole alphabet mafia thing, um, because it's just, you know, they're unapologetically themselves no matter what. And then you introduce this, you know, social norm that's Lucas's parents, Alice and Mal. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones who come in and say that this is a problem. Right. And you realize, you know, through the show that once you start being unapologetically yourself, things get better. Right. And then I'd say it's a show about family. Yeah. And I think that's also important. And well, family comes in all different kinds. Exactly. Like, family doesn't have to be mom, dad, brother, sister, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, they make the joke about grandma, like, I thought she was your mother. No, I thought she was your mother. Yeah. You and know. And, of course, Jackie Hoffman plays that role perfectly. Yeah. And so, it's it's just, it, it is a great um, reinforcement that family is what you make it. Yes. So, is the show relevant on Broadway? I'd say no. Personally, I, th- I don't think so. But regionally, community, college, high school, absolutely. It's a perfect show uh, that smaller theaters are able to put on and bring in smaller audiences uh, and introduce them to the theater. I think it's perfect for that, especially because it's easy to do, it's familiar, and it's perfect, like I said, for young actors. Well, and it kind of lends itself to being a high-budget or a low-budget show. Yes. Um, because once you get the caricatures the way that they're supposed to be, the, the sets and everything else can fall into line. And if they're a little goofy or a little off... That's okay. It's part... I mean, that's... It's a cartoon yeah. at the end of the day. So you can play into that. Um, and I think that it's it's a show that 
I would love to see more regional theaters put on. I agree. Especially, like, professional regional houses who have a budget to really pull out all the stops. Right. It's, it's a fun show the audiences would respond to. Finally, as promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show. So we got to see the show twice, once in 2010, once in 2011. The first time we went, I remember, um, so I remember it was a Thursday, and I don't know why, if they had just changed it or what, but for some reason I only thought Tuesdays were 7 o'clock curtains. So we showed up at 8 o'clock at the Lunt Fontaine Theater for our show. Or no, we showed up at 7.30 for our show, and they were like, no, the show started at 7. We're like, oh my God, we've like missed the show. And the show actually didn't start till 7.15. We were lucky. Mm-hmm. But um, they actually moved us to the box, so we didn't get, we'd have to interrupt everybody. So we got to sit in box seats to see Nathan Lane and B.B. Newworth and that. And that's where I also, like Fester, fell in love with the moon. Because <laughs> yes. that moon was gorgeous. You are in love with the moon. So it was incredible <laughs> seeing it that way. And of course, the second time that we were back up in the balcony and it was still just as good. It was nice to see the opening number. Yes. But um, yeah, the show was really clever. It was really great. Nathan Lane performed the crap out of that role. Of course Jackie did. Hoffman was incredible. I mean, everyone top to bottom was just... Yeah. Amazing. And then meeting Jackie Hoffman after the show was amazing. She is so nice and so funny. She's such a genuine human. I could listen to that woman just... I just want to hear her stories. I just want to sit and listen to her ramble on for hours. So, Jackie Hoffman, if you listen to this, I just want to hear you tell me things. (laughs) You have lived a life out there, and I just want to hear all about it. I've seen her in so many productions now, and she never lets me down. She's such a good actress and a talented actress that can play a wide variety of characters. You know, from humorous, funny characters in Charlie the Chocolate Factory and the Addams Family to funny but serious actresses, roles like in Fiddle on the Roof, uh, to just outlandish characters like we just saw her in Fairy Cakes, you know? I mean, the, I, there's no limit to her talent, so props to her. With the theater world continuing to return to normal, we hope to see the show again and soon. You'll be able to catch the Addams Family at a theater near you sometime probably next fall hopefully yeah also we just want to continue to provide an update on the ongoing tier on broadway returning for a strictly limited engagement at the august wilson theater slave play is now playing eight times a week and you can hear more updates about the shows we are attending throughout the city every tuesday and saturday on our mini episodes the Broadway Bulletin. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your masks on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. 
You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by Jesse Spillane, BJ Block and Don Pemberton, Kevin McLeod, and Billy Murray.